Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, rocking the boat by being honest in a way we're usually not at work. I'm just done with working in the system. I'm just, I'm sick of thinking that if I smile and grit my teeth, I will get the treatment that I should get. It just doesn't work that way. Coming up on The Broad Experience. Raina Brands grew up in Australia, though she's lived in the UK for about 15 years now. She came to England to study for her PhD at Cambridge. Today, she herself is an academic, an associate professor at University College London School of Management. Raina specialises in gender equality, and she looks at it mainly through the lens of informal social networks at work. Who are your associates, mentors? Who do you go to for advice at work? And how does that work out for you? She loves her work, knows it's important, but for years she felt there was a problem. Obviously as an academic, the main thing I am there to do is produce research that is published in journals that almost nobody reads, right? Other academics read them. She didn't just want to speak and write within the ivory tower. She wanted to help women directly. So she and a colleague started a website called Career Equally that uses their research to help women do what Raina calls de-bias their careers. By that, she says she means two things. One, giving women a frame for their experiences. To understand that this feedback that you're getting, which maybe I'm getting some feedback that suddenly my performance isn't up to scratch or you know, people are having this kind of negative reaction to me, even though people have always really liked me, to, to put that in a frame of how stereotypes work, particularly as you move up the, up the leadership ladder, that's really powerful. That's one of, the, one of the things we try and give women when we say de-bias your career. And then the other thing, of course, is, you know, within the bounds of what is possible. And so uh, gender bias is very much structural, it's systemic, it's interpersonal. Uh, and I'm in no way tell women that, you know, they are responsible for undoing these systems around them. But within the constraints you face, what can you do? What conversations can you have? What data can you ask for? What interpersonal strategies can you try to reduce uh, some of the bias that, that you might face at work? As an example, several months ago, Raina had coffee with a colleague, another woman, and she soon realised the purpose of this coffee was for her colleague to let Raina know that some consulting work she'd agreed to do with Raina, she actually didn't want to do it. It was an add-on to her job, and it turned out she was already feeling overwhelmed with administrative and volunteer work, which were also add-ons to her job. Raina found out this woman had taken on a load of office housework, something women tend to be asked to do far more often than men. 
the advice I gave her, which, you know, is advice that, you know, I only started taking myself in the last few years is to be really ruthless, you know, to be ruthless and unapologetic in, in cutting down on these extra commitments because they are extra commitments. And ultimately, if you don't protect your time so that you are doing the kind of work that will get you promoted, it can bleed you dry, really. You know, and one of the one of the key themes that we always come back to is data. Bias cannot hide in data. So if you think you are being over asked to volunteer, et cetera, relative to your colleagues, your male colleagues in particular, you can just collect data on that informally. I've done this myself. Uh, track who's doing what volunteer roles, who's doing what committee work. And, you know, if there is a gender disparity, then you can just take that to your manager and say, look, you know, actually I'm overloaded. I'm going to drop a few of these things. I'm going to pass them on. Uh, so you don't need kind of metrics from HR. You just need some some data that, that either confirms or not your suspicions that perhaps this is an unfair gender disparity that you're facing. I think this may be one of the easier areas of bias to push back on because you just gave a good example. I think what can be trickier is sometimes the comments that slip out that it, that um, a male colleague might say, like an older man say, I mean, whether it's sexual in nature uh, or dismissive of your abilities in some way. How do you deal with that? Or how would you advise somebody to deal with that? Because I think that is really awkward. It is awkward. Uh, but what we know is that if you do confront bias, uh, it does make the person who has expressed, made a bias statement, less likely to do so in the future. I mean, how do you do it? You know, it's, it's, I think in general, in all of these situations, approaching somebody with, with kind of curiosity rather than an accusation. Uh, so opening a conversation with questions, um, wanting to understand what they meant by that. And often just that question of, you said this, um, this is how I interpreted it. Is that what you meant? Often that is just enough to trigger a kind of internal internal kind of thought process that oh maybe that was maybe that was not the right thing to say uh, so yeah come in with questions and curiosity as opposed to an accusation and I think that conversation will always be less uncomfortable <laughs> than than uh, what I think a lot of people anticipate there are really different views on this I think a lot of people thinking about this, would say, yeah, you know, it's time that we we really did confront these kind of biases and call them out. And other people would say, no, you've got to work, you've got to sort of surreptitiously work within the system to get around this stuff, but not confront it directly. Do you think like the time has passed for that kind of attitude? I personally don't see it as, as either or. Right. There's no, there's no silver bullet for gender bias. There's no, there's no sense that, well, if we all just start calling out bias, it, it wouldn't be a problem anymore. It's gender stereotypes are very re robust, resilient. You know, gender bias exists within a self reinforcing system of structures, processes, interpersonal psychology. Uh, so there is, there's no silver bullet. Uh, so I, I think the broad advice I always give to women is, one, you have to work with in, in your own personal style. Some people are very confrontational. Some people are not. Uh, some people are very funny and can use humour to deflect it. 
some people are not. Some people are very likable, so they can work through their personal relationships. Some people are not. So you have to work within your own your own style. But the sense that, you know, the kind of counterfactual or the idea that, well, if if we all say nothing and work within the system, it will change. You know, I strongly disagree with that. You have to do both. Um, you have to you have to call it out. Uh, you have to confront it directly, and then you also have to work through these kind of more informal, indirect uh, ways as well. We're going to hear more about the practicalities of debiasing in the next show. Raina studies gender stereotypes for a living, and she experiences stereotyping regularly as well take feedback in her world of academia. She says research shows assessments of female professors are routinely biased. Institutions, including institutions I've worked for, have their own internal data showing that student evaluations of women professors are systematically lower than of equivalent male professors. And yet, this is the way schools evaluate teaching performance. And it is intensely frustrating to have one of your performance metrics be systematically biased against you and to know that and to know that everybody knows that and yet you are still being, you know, evaluated using this number, which we all agree is biased against you. Yeah, yeah that, is in, that is intensely frustrating. And certainly I think all women professors have had comments in their evaluations and classroom experiences that, um, that no male professor could even imagine having. When you say that, having experiences that that male professors wouldn't, do you mean is this with male students saying things and doing things, or is it is it everybody? Yeah, so it's everybody. So uh, people's prototype or stereotype of a professor is older and male. So if you, uh, particularly when I was starting out, if you walk into the classroom as a young woman, you are violating people's expectations for who is the expert who's going to teach me. So what that means is. Women get a lot of more, a lot more resistance, and a lot more questioning, and a lot more disrespect. Um, and then, of course, you know, so that that is a kind of professional disrespect that you face, um, which just sucks up a lot of classroom time, to be frank. And then, then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is, um, yeah, uncomfortable experiences with with male students, um, uncomfortable comments on your evaluations about how you dress, how you look. Uh, and that, again, male professors just, just aren't subject to that. In a moment, Raina talks about a decision she took to reveal something on her CV that most of us would not. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. One of the reasons I was keen to talk to Raina was because of a tweet of hers I'd spotted last year, in which she reveals something a lot of us would consider too personal to write on a resume or CV. 
Although a lot of outsiders think of academics' main work as teaching, that's just part of what they do. As Raina said at the beginning, their main occupation is research and writing up that research for review by their peers. So professors' CVs are full of information on their research and where it's been published. But many women professors end up pausing that research at least once in their careers, and they address those pauses on their CVs. It's very common in academia for women to note when they had children. Uh, So in academia, your performance is really on publishing you know it's publish or perish and having having children is a good way to put a big dent in your publication pipeline so a lot of women note you know that they had children in these years and that explains the gap uh, because publication gaps are seen very negatively as soon as you have a pause in your publications people start to wonder what's going on have you veered off track are you no one now there's this pressure to explain yourself Last year, Raina did that when she updated her own CV. I decided to include uh, a period of a couple of years when I was experiencing recurrent pregnancy loss. When you look at her CV, under the word publications, as well as listing her published research, she notes a maternity break. 2021, birth of son. Under that you read, 2019 to 20, recurrent pregnancy loss. Look, the reason why I decided to do it is because it did, you know, it it really those that period of time had a profound effect on my productivity. Which now that I'm out of that um, sense of loss and trauma, I can see, you know, I can I can see that my ideas were just not very good. And even though at the time I was having these days where I would just be walking down the street and I'd start crying or, you know, days where I would just lie on the couch for an hour staring into space or, you know, my partner would get up and walk into the room and he'd find me, you know, crying on the, in the, on the couch. And even though objectively I would be able to say, oh, of course it's affecting my work at the time, I probably didn't think it was. But looking back, I can see. And now that I'm out of it and I'm going through a stage where I'm feeling really generative, I feel like I've got lots of great ideas, again, I can look back and see how profoundly it affected my research output because doing research, it's about having good ideas and that, that requires kind of positive affect and energy, which I was just lacking. She says if people note when they had children to show there was a reason for their lack of productivity, why not record pregnancy loss? Why not bring it out into the open? I've just reached a point in my professional life where, you know, you're talking about, isn't it better to work within the system? I'm kind of, I'm just done with working in the system. I'm just, I'm sick of thinking that if I smile and grip my teeth, I will get the treatment that I should get. I, you know, it just doesn't work that way. So I've I've become a lot less apologetic and a lot more brash in my approach to these issues. And, you know, when people look at my CV, you know, the truth is in that time I was being less productive because I was experiencing this profound trauma, which if you haven't experienced a miscarriage, it's a very unique kind of trauma because there's this physical the physicality of it intertwines with the emotionality of it and I thought well the only reason I'm not talking about that is because nobody talks about that and because nobody talks about it because it's uncomfortable and I'm just really not interested in making people comfortable. Raina thinks it's strange that so many women lose pregnancies and were expected to just get on with it act like it never happened 
She wants to go some way to making this very normal experience seem normal rather than like some shameful secret. I told her I'd done a show several years ago on pregnancy loss in the workplace. I got the sense from some of the comments I got on the miscarriage show, especially in the US, that they would never have said anything because the once you're talking about some of the things that your body does, whether it's miscarriage, frankly, or a serious illness, you're immediately oh, taken less seriously. Can we, you know, can we rely on her? That kind of thing. And in your position, do you feel sort of quite safe in your job in a way that perhaps someone working for a US company where you can be dropped at the drop of a hat might not? I wonder if it is easier to be honest in your situation. Yeah, and I don't know if that's a... I don't know if it's easy enough to just say profession, national context. In my current position at UCL, I feel very, I do feel very safe, partly because they have a miscarriage policy, which is an amazing, when I read it, I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing and really forward thinking. It's a very progressive institution. I think probably I would say, yes, companies differ. And the only caveat I would put to that is the idea that if you don't talk about your miscarriage to make people feel comfortable and you suffer in silence, that that will somehow, when you come up for your next promotion and you're a little bit short, playing the game will somehow get you get you through that system. No, there's all they're going to see is, yeah, she's just she's just another woman who's underperforming. Um, so I kind of question the the assumption that there's a way to yeah play it safe. And when you tweeted about this line on your resume, you got a lot of support from other women, particularly women in academia. I did. I was surprised. Two things surprised me. One, I didn't really get trolled. A couple of men wrote slightly trolly comments. But what surprised me is how viciously the other women came for, came for them so I didn't even have to engage. And I just got so many DMs from, from women in academia saying, this is happening to me right now. There's just no way I could talk about it. But thank you for doing this because... This is the experience I'm having. It's exactly the experience I described of trying to be productive, trying to turn up in the classroom, be positive, be on, and going through this trauma at the same time. Everyone who's worked through a miscarriage knows what that feels like. If you'd like to revisit the show I did on this topic, that's episode 137. It's called Pregnancy Loss and Work. I posted on the Facebook page asking if anyone would or has included information on their resumes about time taken off for medical reasons or citing a period of illness. Several of you said no, you'd never do this because it wasn't employer's business why you weren't working for a while. And one of you noted if we could just normalise these gaps, employers would stop asking about them. One of you in the US said you wouldn't say anything because too many people are inclined to draw what you called irrelevant conclusions from sharing personal information on a CV. I did a show back in 2016 called Illness and Secrecy, where we discussed this dilemma of how open to be about your health in the workplace. That's episode 92. Next time, Ideas on how to debias your career with Raina and her colleague Anitha Rathan. That's the broad experience for this time. I'm Ashley Miltite. Thanks for listening.
Hello, listener. Is it me you're looking for? As brands, we're always wanting to make a connection, to find the person you can rely on, the one that's there every week, month, or year, and always has your back when you need them the most. It's a little like matchmaking, don't you think? With ACAST podcast ads, you can filter for your exact dream audience so you can find the ideal customer for your business. The Romeo to your Juliet, the Rachel to your Ross, the Bert to your Ernie, and avoid those red flags and time wasters. Your ads can communicate with them in the most intimate way possible. A one-on-one conversation, a chance meeting in the gym, or a coffee shop. So go on, give it a try. With over hundreds of thousands of listens a month, your person is probably here. Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com to get started.